teachers are noticing that a child who's normally very talkative is all of a sudden very monosyllabic um, or if they're noticing sort of a change in um, even from looking at the screen if the child's personal hygiene has started to take a little bit of a um, of a change so not as well kept and kind of like very messy those are all very good signs that the child is starting to struggle. Kia ora from New Zealand and welcome to the Fernware Learning Lab hosted by Bill and Kelly. Firmware's research and insights team. In this podcast, you'll meet some of the world's leading educationalists who'll be sharing their stories of inspiration and insights for the future with some practical advice for the classroom. So, Kelly, how's it going? Oh, it's good, Bill. We're on level three. I'm not quite sure what that means, though. We, as we've kind of talked about in the past, we only kind of did two days of level three, and that was all, you know, getting organised for level four. So, I think we are still a little bit in the dark of what that actually means, aren't we? Well, number one is it means that we can start meeting our customer orders. That. Uh, Half a million Kiwis can now go back into their workplaces and and start working. If they can't work from home, then they can start building stuff and making stuff. And and so that's the most exciting bit for me, that we can can start uh, getting back to business. Yeah, which is great. And then also, obviously, the schools, it's essential business people who are having to go back and their kids can go back to school for the next two weeks, isn't it? That's kind of what they're thinking. Yep. So again, it's if you can work from home, work from home. Have your kids at home. Um, if, if children have to go to school, then they have to go to school. But like at some schools, there's going to be a smattering mm. of, of people. And what I think is going to happen at most schools is they're going to carry on with the online learning um, timetable. And those people who are actually in the school, they will just be doing the online learning from the school. Yes. Because you can't do both at the same time. No, I think teachers are at their wits end already. You can't put more pressure on them at the moment. When I speak to my relatives in the UK, they say, well, we don't understand level four, level three, level two. And then no one else has really defined it, as far as I know. And some people have done traffic light systems. They've got now got the tracking app in Australia, so it'll be interesting to see if that then comes to New Zealand. So they're hoping for 40% of Australia to download it, but um, at the moment it's just 2 million, but I think there's still a few bugs to iron out. But that might just be the new normal now, that we'll all have Mm -hmm. tracking um, apps on our phone so we can trace contacts. So for our factory workers, there's a log um, and they have a, a little record of if they're not at home or at work, where have they been, who have they spoken to. So, Bill, well, who have we got on this week? The amazing Katiana Asman. She's a child psychologist from the Pantai Hospital in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And she's just so wise and so many great pieces of advice and strategies for children checking in on the health and well-being, differentiating it so young ones, older ones, how to speak differently, you know, lots of the stuff teachers know in terms of differentiating the age, but from my perspective and from many parents' perspective as well as teachers, it was just so helpful. No, she was great, wasn't she? She was very calm, so we felt like we had a bit of a session with her, didn't we, Bill? Yeah, we did. We, I think we could all benefit from listening. <laughs> Remember, um, if you have anything else you'd like us to cover or anyone you know that you think would be great on this podcast, we'd love to hear from you, so get in touch. So we hope you enjoy this episode. We're really, really delighted today to welcome Katiana Asman uh, to the Fernware Learning Lab podcast. So previously, of course, we've talked to school leaders and educationalists and experts in online learning. 
Now we really want to go into the psychology and, and Katiana's child psychologist at the uh, Pantai Hospital in Kuala Lumpur. So how do you introduce yourself? So I'm a consultant child psychologist at uh, Pantai Hospital Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Um, so part of my role kind of involves um, not just supporting kids and their families in a clinical setting, um, those who are affected by learning difficulties as well as mood disorders and psychological issues, um, but also um, given the situation in Malaysia where we don't have a lot of access to educational psychologists because um, we don't have that many of them, um, I also do a lot of assessments and work with a lot of um, schools and international private and government schools um, to provide support to teachers um, and help them kind of come up with um, learning strategies for kids with um, learning difficulties and behavioral issues. It's, it's awesome really because Kelly and I, we, we've come to that stage in our lockdown four weeks in and we think we need we need to talk to a psychologist. You know, as Bill was saying, the beginning was a bit of a novelty, wasn't it? Where It was a bit fun. And now we're all trying to... I've got two younger ones at, at primary school and everything and trying to homeschool them. And Bill's been helping his daughter with her high school work. He's working as well. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. kind of... It's probably a lot busier than it was just going to work, I think. Definitely. And I think that there's this misconception that you're working from home or studying from home and that's somehow more relaxing. It really isn't. It's probably a lot worse. So, yeah, so it's a very, very stressful time for not just parents, but the kids themselves as well. We, we have quite a lot of uh, teachers who listen to this podcast. And so what advice would you give them? What's the best ways to start a health and well-being check-in with the students? This is a question that a few teachers have asked me and it's definitely a challenge because you're kind of relying on this very small box um, mm. to be able to see your kids. So one of the things that I would recommend is to kind of have a little bit of an exercise. So depending on how old the kids are, if you're looking at you know primary school kids, you can kind of make it a little bit of a game where at the start of the week or at the end of the week, you can have a little bit of an activity where everybody kind of goes around and shares the notable moments of the week, the interesting things of the week. Um, and the teachers can use that as an opportunity to kind of gauge um, whether there's been a shift. Um, and that's actually the very um, important thing when we're dealing with kids is that the number one indicator of any type of problem is a change in behavior. So they don't, you know, because of how old they are, they might not be as open as saying, hey, this thing has happened, I'm feeling this way. Their language development might not be as, you know, developed to be able mm. to do that. So one of the best things that I tell teachers or parents to look out for is a change in behavior, a change in temperament. Um, and so if teachers are noticing that a child who's normally very talkative is all of a sudden very monosyllabic, um, or if they're noticing sort of a change in, um, even from looking at the screen, if the child's personal hygiene has started to take a little bit of a, um, of a change, so not as well kept and kind of like very messy, those are all very good signs that the child is starting to struggle. With your teenagers or with, with high schoolers, definitely possible to kind of do the same thing, but being very open about the fact like, hey, we just want to check in on how everyone's feeling. We know it's a really sort of stressful time. One of the things that also I find really helpful with teenagers is to actually kind of share a little bit about what you're going through. Because with teenagers, yeah. they're a little bit more like, yeah, I don't want to show that I'm kind of struggling. It's like a it's like a maturity thing. Um, so one of the things that I find really helpful, even for me, is when I'm talking to my teenage patients, I often tell them like, um, you know, this week was really rough for me because I was really kind of wanting to do this and I miss going out to get bubble tea. You know, I do things like that with them. Um, and then that kind of makes them feel like, oh, I'm not the only person who's kind of struggling. So 
they use that as sort of a window to be a little bit chattier about the, the negative sides of their day. Um, but definitely make it a point to kind of have scheduled days where you kind of check in and talk about your feelings and what's been going on. Um, and I think that's a really good place to start. Um, if you have concerns and you might feel or the child is not really being forthcoming, then that would also be a good window for you to potentially reach out to the family members and parents and kind of have them go like, you know, I kind of a little bit concerned based on what I saw the other day. So it's, it's a good kind of system to just uh, help parents and teachers kind of stay in this on the same page with regards to the kids. So, yeah. I love what you're saying about the different approaches for different ages. Yeah, a 10-year-old has a very, very different response to a 17-year-old, um, even though you would think that there's only like seven years between them. But no, there's a very huge bracket between, I think, primary schoolers and high schoolers with regards to what they respond to. Um, and I think one of the biggest... Um, errors that adults make is sometimes assuming that it's this it's the same across the board um, so they might speak to a teenager in a very sort of childlike way which is often misconstrued as being condescending or one of my teenagers tell me it's like oh, I don't understand why they have to hover so much you know and so um, so it's kind of like trying to adjust um, how you approach them based on their level of development because you know, even from a neurological perspective, their brain's doing so much growing and there's so much changes between, you know, 10 and 17 um, with regards to how they process emotions, how they, how their language is developing. You know, when we look at children, you know, a lot of the time because of how their brain is growing, they aren't really able to process stress and sort of negativity in the same way that adults can. And so the way that they often respond to that is withdrawal, which is to escape from said stress or said problem, um, or the other response that kind of manifests in a different type of behavior, which kind of brings me to the next red flag, which is um, if they're behaving rather atypically. So if they're becoming very emotionally distressed over something they wouldn't normally, so like losing a game or not answering the questions correctly in class, um, or anything that would normally be something that would not um, cause a huge meltdown, it's all of a sudden causing such a reaction with them. Um, that's usually an indicator as well. So if they're behaving rather atypically, and it might not necessarily be due to a class. It might be because, you know, being at home, there might be other issues in the background that the teachers are not aware of. Okay. So if it's not due to something happening in the learning session, then I usually say to teachers, like, probably just kind of send an email out to the parents and say, like, hey, you know, I kind of noticed that he or she was you know reacting this way and I kind of just wanted to touch base and see if there was anything that you know has happened that could attribute to it and then also you know things like not wanting to participate in class not keeping up with um, assignments beyond the kind of like little you know skipping out here and there that's kind of I think really common with those studying at home kind yeah, of um, yeah, yeah. group of kids um, but if you're seeing just zero participation or major changes in participation, this is a, a, a red flag that we need to kind of look out for. Yeah. You know, when, when schools were open, it was definitely a different dynamic because whenever I speak to parents, I say your child spends most of her, his or her day at school with teachers. Now it's kind of done a little bit of a flip, hasn't it? So the kids are at home all the time. Um, and now teachers are kept out of the loop. It's possible the parents haven't even noticed it, especially if they're busy working from home, if there's multiple children in the house. Mm -hmm. They might not have noticed that something's a little bit amiss. So if it's possible, definitely send them an email, text them, whatever you'd normally do, just to kind of make sure that they're aware 
that something's a little bit off with their child. Yeah. Presumably, as adults, we need to be good role models. Even though even the most independent of children do look at adults with regards to what what what's going to happen here. Um, and I think given the climate of things, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, and there's a lot of um, sort of question marks, not knowing when this pandemic's going to be over with, when are we going to be allowed to resume our lives? All of these sort of uncertainties are something that really add to stress that kids are feeling. And so I think it's important now more than ever for adults basically to be very aware that the the little people in our lives are definitely kind of looking to us with regards to how to respond. And so you know, if parents or teachers are kind of reacting to the panic or, you know, to responding to all of the misinformation and craziness that's happening, then you're giving the child permission almost to respond equally. That's kind of why, you know, as much as we ourselves as adults are kind of struggling with it, we have to kind of remember to put a little bit more of a composed front with our kids as much as possible. You know, I, and it's funny, I had this, this exact conversation recently with a family where, you know, one of the parents was really sort of struggling with all these WhatsApp messages coming in, all these supposed videos from Wuhan of people collapsing on the street left, right and center, just to show how terrifying this virus was. The, one of the parents was very affected by that um, and was constantly kind of discussing it at the dinner table, showing all the new stuff. Um, and they noticed the children were equally as scared. There were some kids mm. were having night terrors. Some kids were, um, you know, having a lot of behavior issues. I think that it's very important for, for adults to be aware kind of how you're, you might be unconsciously modeling some type of behavior for the kids to follow. Um, nothing worse than seeing your own character traits sort of magnified in your children. You think, oh no, that's mm. from me. <laughs> Exactly. And, 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 you know, and, and again, because of how their brains are, depending on how old they are, their level of development, they, the key skills, like being able to regulate their emotions and things like that are not as um, efficient or as developed as they would be if they were older um, or they were, you know, our age. So because of that, it's kind of like often amplified when it comes yeah. out with them, you know, the fear is 10 times more. Um, and it's hard to kind of explain that fear away. So if you had like, you know, a, a five-year-old who was having all of these nightmares and really, really terrified, we can't go to them and be like, oh, everything's going to be fine because they've only lived on earth for five years. So mm -hmm. this is the first major event for them. So how do I know I'm going to be fine? How do I know I'm going to live through this? You know, so kind of keep um, an eye out for how you're behaving and how that might be um, affecting affecting kids. Yeah. Well, that, that kind of feels like a nice segue into your advice around screen time and social media, because if you've got parents reading things, being <gasps> terrified and they don't know what's reality and what's not, what about children who are getting bombarded with goodness knows what? I'm a, um, rather hesitant when it comes to social media for younger children you know like you said Kelly it's kind of hard to filter what they're seeing um, you can do that with websites but you can't do that with social media generally mm. for teenagers I can understand it's kind of part of their you know part of their life and it's kind of hard to edit so one of the things that um, I usually try to to tell parents is if you have older children in the house, then, you know, I'm, I'm a really big fan of sort of like mealtime discussions that use it as an opportunity to kind of discuss things that you've seen so that your kids know that they have a little bit of an uh, of an outlet where they can kind of verify things yeah. that are maybe, you know, not accurate. Some of my teenagers or my clients have gone on what we call a social media detox just to limit the influx of 
possible negativity that's sort of coming in. There are screen time guidelines for younger children. Um, and so I think currently they believe that children under the age of five should only get one hour of screen time a day, which very few people are following. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we, even though we understand that it's special circumstances right now, the, the reason why those guidelines exist is because too much screen time affects the development of the brain. It also affects development of speech and social skills. And so this is all research, you know, this is all from research that we've done. So we, we, we spoke about how the um, narrower perspective or viewpoint of younger people um, magnifies everything. So, you know, from my 50 years of, of life experience, I know that things pass and, and, uh, and that, you know, you make friends at different stages. But that said, I'm, I'm, I'm missing my buddies, you know. So what, what's it like for the kids? You know, they, their friends are everything to them, aren't they? You know, it, they are, because if you kind of look at, I mean, life experience is one thing, but you kind of also look at their exposure. We as adults, we have multiple environments. We have home, we have work, we have this group and that group. We have multiple environments that we're involved in. But mm. kids oftentimes, depending on how old they are, it's just home and school, mm. right? So there's only two environments they're involved in. And so if one environment isn't running, you know, efficiently or well if something's kind of happened at school that's 50% of their life or 50% of their world right and so absolutely this this pandemic or these lockdowns have affected their ability to socialize and that is catastrophic given how much of um, a proportion their social life has in their sort of like daily lives um so i really really encourage ways with which kids can still stay connected with their friends mm. so you might come up with a routine and a schedule that says maths english you know geography whatever in your in your calendar or your timetable but they need to be able to have parts of the day where they can go online and have you know a chat like this with their friends um there's a lot of sort of platforms now where they can play games together on on conferencing calls like this um you know and it should still be something that kids have access to Great, so that's first half of the interview with Cassiana. Um, we, we had to divide it into two. There was so much brilliant information. So um, uh, yeah, next time it's going to be all about your routine, keeping up a really good routine so that that helps um, just shortcut the brain for so many, um, in both for adults and children. Don't be working in your bed, wasn't it, Bill? Get dressed. Your bed is for sleeping. That's right. And, and also, um, we, we had a bit of a discussion about how to support students with specific learning challenges, so that was really cool as well. Children with attentional difficulties will have difficulties with three areas, which is paying attention, so focus, um, hyperactivity if they have you know, ADHD versus what we used to call ADD, um, and then problems with impulse control, so everything's sort of very immediate gratification. So. Those are some of the challenges that will impact upon, you know, sort of conventional learning styles. So thanks for listening. If you think any of your networks and school community would benefit from Katiana's wise words, because they were wise indeed, be sure to share this podcast with them. And don't forget to subscribe and download the handy takeouts from her interview so you can refer back to them. So until next time, take care. Ka kite anong, cheerio, goodbye from New Zealand.